Well, good morning again. I'd like to add my encouragement regarding this impact conference. We've been working on this for a number of months. I really want to invite you each to be present at this conference, whether it's here in person or those of us who are joining online. You know, we put a lot of emphasis on life groups here at City Hill. I believe life groups are key to who we are as a church in growing in relationship, in serving together as small teams, in being the body of Christ. Our community won't work simply here on Sunday mornings. So our life groups are very important, but there are also times where God calls us to celebrate and come together as the body of Christ, as his church, for particular events. And impact is one of those. Because there's really two parts of being a Christian. One is God wants to save us, heal us, cleanse us, fill us with his spirit. But sometimes we stop there and it's kind of like there's more. You know, there's a song out there. Sorry if it's your favorite song. But there's a song out there. You know, there's more. I know that there's more. And when I, when I hear that song, I, I grate a little bit if it just stops by there's more for me, more for me, more for me. I know there's more for me, more filling for me. And I think, yeah, that's true. But there's more filling for us. God wants more for us. Because he loves us and so that he can use us to change the world. And that's why I love the impact. It, it talks about let's be filled with the Spirit of God so that God can better flow his life and grace and healing to our neighbors, to the nations. And we want to help you do what God has called you to do. And that's what this impact conference is about. So. Please make time in your schedule. Find a way, if possible, to join us. I believe that God is going to meet with us in a very special way this weekend. Let me pray as I get going. Father, I thank you for your life. I thank you that your call is joyous. It's part of how you've made us to be. And God, I pray that you would speak to us as we open your word this morning. We need you, Lord. We open our hearts to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last Sunday I preached part one of a two-part sermon called Power in Weakness. Just a couple things to review to give us the foundation for where I'm going today. Number one, God hates our pride. God hates our pride. In James 4, 6 it says, God opposes or resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Tell you what, I want to be on the grace side. Amen? How many needs a little grace this morning? I don't want God opposed to me. I would lose that battle very quickly. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that was what Satan did. He rose up in pride against the Almighty, and God justly, rightly cast him down. It was the great sin of Satan. And so if God hates our pride, my heart and goal for us is that we would become aware where pride creeps in and we would know how to fight it. We know how to be sure we're not on that side of things. And two key tools that God gives us, number one is humility. And humility simply looks at the truth. It's not beating yourself down 
oh, I'm not. It's not that. It's seeing things as they really are. And humility says that we are small, but God is great. Humility says we are sinful, and God is holy. We are limited intellectually, but God is really, really smart. You ever tried to teach God? God, I think you need to know this. I really want you to make sure you're aware of this, as if he doesn't know. God is a lot smarter than you and me. We are lost, but God has come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ to save us. We are people in need of being saved. We deserve hell and damnation, but God offers us hell and salvation. And when we look at these truths, I believe the natural thing is we fall on our knees and we say, oh God, save me. I think you see in the scriptures when they encountered God, they fell on their face, they fell on their knees. They didn't stand up and say, well, God, here I am. Aren't you lucky to have me? We fall on our knees in righteous awe of a holy God. I believe these truths help us walk in the fear of the Lord. And the scripture says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's a good place to start to say, oh God, you are God and I am not. It's important to recognize those things. And that brings us humility, which is a gift of God. The second tool is thankfulness. We need to flex our thankful muscle, but it's not like this. It's like this, right? Oh God, thank you for. And may that come naturally to your heart. As God does good things, as you have good things happen in your life, as you're alive and breathing this morning, may your heart be full of thankfulness. You know, it's crazy how we're wired sometimes that the things that are not going well in our lives tend to consume us, don't they? You know, you wake up and that thing, that struggle, that battle, that health issue, that tends to consume us. But even in the middle of the battle, there's so many great things that God has done for us. We want to be thankful. So let's just have an exercise this morning, okay? Think of one thing you're thankful for. Ready? You got one thing in your mind? Maybe the list is long. If you, let me say, if you can't think of anything to be thankful for, you have a problem. I'll just, you know, thank you for sending Jesus. There, it's an easy one. But I want you to think of something a little more personal. And we're going to just count to three and shout out a, a praise of thank you to the Lord. We're going to say thank you, God, for, and fill in the blank. Are you ready? Everybody. Nobody stays quiet. i got to think of mine here. Okay. One, two, three. Thank you, God, for my family. Thank you, Jesus. And when you do that, you smile. Some joy comes in because you go, wow, God's blessed me. And I'm telling you, if you start writing a list before the Lord, your list goes long. A lot of things you're not even thankful for, but you would be if they were taken away. Think of a friend of mine had his spleen removed. I don't even know what a spleen is. You know, I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. My spleen's working. You know, you're thankful for it. When it's being taken away, you realize how 
fearfully and wonderfully we're made and how God has blessed us in so many ways that we rarely bring to mind. May we have a thankful spirit. And those are things that can fight against pride. Humility and thankfulness. I think that's why the scripture says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Start off your morning being thankful. It's a good muscle to flex. So part two this morning. I want to take it to the next step. Part two is that Satan wants you to live in pride in thinking you have no need of God. That's what I was saying last week. In a false sense of self-worth. I did this myself. Look what I did. But if Satan can't build you up with pride, then he will pendulum swing and he will beat you down in despair, in sadness, in misery, and he wants to beat you up. And that's the other side. I believe the conversation goes something like this. If you're Satan's coming to get you, he says, you know, the pastor's right. Who did you think you were anyway? You are a nobody. You have nothing to offer. You know, God may love everyone, but not you. And Satan, if he can't build us up, wants to tear us down. But the scripture has this beautiful little verse that says, but we are not unaware of his schemes. Just say that with me. But we are not unaware of his schemes. And the image I had this morning, just in what the, the message that God put in my heart, is that God would just shine a light into your soul and that you would say, oh, that's the scheme of the enemy. That's how he's trying to tear me down. And we'd have that light that would reveal his plan to destroy us. And that is really why they call Satan the father of lies. The father of lies. That means he's really good at it. He's really good at lying to your soul. And that's where Satan has power over our lives. His power is not that he's going to come and throw you into a car accident or harm you. That's not the power of Satan. The power of Satan comes in his lies. And so our battle against him has to be battling the lies of Satan with truth. And I want to talk about how to win the war. Anybody want to win a war today? Let me tell you, we are at war. If you ever want to look at See if we're at war, just turn on the news and see the battle, not simply a battle of guns, which is bad enough in itself, but the battle for truth, the battle for our hearts, the battle for our minds. There is a war going on, and we need to win, and we can win. So our theme for 2021 is empowered. And that word in and of itself, I'm implies, correctly implies, that to be empowered, you need, you are weak, and you need power in your life. It correctly implies that apart from God, we are weak. Apart from God, left to our own desires, we are lost, and we're in need of a Savior. We cannot save ourselves. 
And brothers and sisters, that is really good news. It doesn't sound like good news. Well, it is good news because there is a Savior. And his name is Jesus Christ, and God has sent his Son to save you and me. And it's not just to save us so that we don't go to hell, which is wonderful in and of itself. But it's to save us from ourselves. It's to save us from this world. It's to save us not just to get us back to normal, but so that we can thrive, that we can experience the abundant life that God has for us. And that abundant life that God has for us is possibly different from the way the world, well, not just possibly, it is different from the way the world paints abundant life. But God has wonderful abundant life for those who are in Christ. He's come to help us thrive and lead us to do the works that he's designed for us to do. Did you know that God has designed good works for you to do? Once again, it's not just being filled, which is the first step, but it's being filled because God has good works for you and for me to do that he has designed for us. So I want to look at Ephesians 2, verse 10 this morning. Ephesians 2, 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. One more time. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want to break that apart a little bit this morning. We're God's workmanship. We're his handiwork. I love the translation that says we are his masterpiece. You ever seen an artist's masterpiece? They just, every detail, they're working on it, and then they finally finish, and this is the Rembrandt. This is the masterpiece. And when God reveals it, it's, it's you. You ever think about that that way, or do you go, well, not me? I mean, you know, no, you are God's masterpiece. His love for us knows no end. His perfection, you say, well, there's, I come with warts and wrinkles. They go, yeah, I know, and God loves you just the way you are. You're his masterpiece, beautiful, unique. So we're God's masterpiece, and it says here, created in Christ Jesus. That's what I want, a take-home. We are in Christ. Just say, in Christ. Makes all the difference in the world. Not in your own strength, not in your own glory, but in Christ. God wants to show us the difference between who we are outside of Christ and who we are in Christ. And it says here, when we are in Christ, he's created us to do good work. Good work, not just random, be nice, Minnesotan, smile at your neighbors. That's nice. We're good at being nice. But God has good works for us to do in Christ. And I think it's amazing that God has prepared these in advance for us to do. So, well, what are they? Give me a list. Well, it doesn't really work that way. That's why we need to be led by the Spirit. You ever had those moments where all of a sudden you, you kind of felt a 
thought you should do something. It may be led by the Spirit, and you do it, and you, and you finish, and you go, God was in that. It's amazing. That was something that God had prepared in advance for me to do. And sometimes those are religious things. Sometimes that's teaching Sunday school or preaching. I get that. But sometimes it's things that seem fairly menial, like just going over and loving on a neighbor, shoveling their driveway, helping somebody out of a snowbank, encouraging someone at work, speaking a good word. Sometimes those works aren't quite as religious as we may want to make them. But God has prepared good works for you and for me to do. So when we're in Christ, that's number one. Number two, we are royal priests. Do you know that? You are a royal priest? What in the world is a royal priest? You know, in Israel, a very religious nation, there were religious people. Some of them were called scribes and Pharisees. Those are the religious people. Among them, they had special men called priests. Those were the leaders in these religious groups. And these special few were made, their job was to give and lead sacrifices for the sins of the people. So they would take animals, sometimes doves, sometimes sheep or goats, and they would kill these animals, sacrifice them on the altar for the redemption or the forgiveness of sin of the people of Israel. They were leaders in their nation. And the Bible says that you and I are priests, special people set apart from God, not just the pastors. We talk about the priesthood of all believers, that we are equal before the Lord, and all of us are called to have direct access to God. Isn't that great that you, you pray, you don't have to call me? Praise the Lord for that. I mean, I want to pray with you. But what a horrible thing it would be if the only way you could get to God is by through the priest. And that has been taken away when Christ died at Calvary. It said the curtain which separated the people from the priesthood, the curtain was ripped from top to bottom. I wonder what the Jews thought about that. I really don't know, but I know that it meant that there was an access that had not been there before. That you and I can go directly to God because we are royal priests for those who are in Christ. Just anybody in Christ? I want to see your hands this morning. In Christ. So praise the Lord. That's who we are. 1 Peter 2 9. But you. Point to somebody beside you. 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 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. There it is. A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy because you are in Christ. This is truth. Number three, you've been made in God's image. Wow. You've been made in the image of God. Genesis 1 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image 
after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. If we only deeply, fully understood what it means to be created in the image of God. Every person, every tribe, every language, every color, every man, every woman, every child, every unborn child, every person created in the image of God. I think we judge people differently, wouldn't we? When you're thinking about someone else, anybody else, you go, that person is created in God's image. At times they might not be acting like it, but they are created in the image of God and their life is of great value. I learn a lot from my mother, who, as you know, is 93 and in hospice. She's been in her bed for the last two years. Still bright, and she's still created in the image of God. She still has great value, and sometimes she says, well, I don't know what I'm doing here on this side of heaven. I mean, I can't do anything. I can't go anywhere. I can't serve anybody. I don't know why God still has me alive. And I go, Mom, you're beautiful. You, God loves you. And you just, you're made in the image of God. And whether or not she's bringing a dinner to somebody in need or whether she's just in bed talking to people, loving Jesus, her life is of tremendous value. She's made in the image of God. And I love the fact that you heard the testimony, but one of the people who worked with her, she had her reading the scriptures to her every day. And through that, it made a tremendous difference and brought this young lady back into full relationship with God. Just reading the scripture to my mother. I go, look, Mom, God's, you're, you're, you're winning people to Christ from your hospice bed. And even if she weren't, great value made in the image of God. Number four, you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, which is no small thing. I love the redemption of God, don't you? I was asked recently, what's your favorite thing about Jesus? Well, there's so many things. So many things. His love, his care, his mercy, his gentleness, his salvation. You know, where do you start? But maybe if I had to start somewhere, I'd say his redemption. I love the fact that Jesus is our redeemer. And by that, what I see is that God takes what is broken in our lives when we bring our brokenness to him and he fixes it. He glues the pieces back together. He redeems it. But not just to get back to where it was, but to bring it to something better than ever. That we can actually use our brokenness then as a tool to minister to people who have been broken in similar ways. I love the story of Janet's brother. I don't know, Jimmy, if you're watching online this morning. He's a, uh, been a missionary in Alaska. When he was 12 years old, he was on a brick wall at a crusade. 
and the brick wall was not cemented well together, and the wall collapsed on him, and the cement bricks crushed his pelvis into just dust, hundreds of pieces. And they took this active, full-of-life 12-year-old to the hospital. The doctors showed my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, they showed him x-rays, and they said, there's nothing we can do. His pelvis has been crushed. He will never walk again. He'll never run again, but we think we can save his life. And of course, his parents, they're devastated. You know, that my that this tragedy had happened to their son. And they were with him in the hospital trying to give life, but they were so discouraged, so in despair over this accident. And one night in the hospital, Jimmy said, Dad, would you pray for me that God would heal my hips? And he said, I, I had no faith. Couldn't do anything. Just, he said, I, Jimmy, you pray. Was the best he could do. So Jimmy says, Jesus... Heal me, Jesus' name, amen. Something like that. And they went home. Next morning, they came into the hospital. It was Janet's brother. And there was a commotion in the room. And there were people moving, and, and there was something going on. And his first thought is, Jimmy died. But Jimmy was sitting up, big smile in his bed when they came around, this 12-year-old boy. And the doctor said, something would happen, and I, I, we we're trying to figure out what happened here. Just be patient with us. And overnight, God had glued all his hips together. Like, like a jigsaw puzzle. Said so like the little beads that had just taken all of these pieces, and they had x-rays. And the doctor said, this can't happen. When they had the x-ray, they sent him back. They said, get another x-ray. You got the wrong x-ray, wrong patient. This can't happen. And they took more x-rays, and Jimmy walked out of that hospital. Um, he's a marathon runner. He runs in Alaska. They call him the old man. He's a grandpa in his 60s, and he's running marathons. The boy who would never walk again. And I just say, praise the Lord. I want to see more and more of God's miraculous healings. Amen? But I love it that it wasn't just so that he could walk. God, by his divine nature, chose to heal him. And it was a, such a redemption that this man is an excellent marathon runner. And I go, that's what God does in our lives. He redeems, he restores, and then he wants to use that area for his glory. Because even more important than Jimmy's healing, which was wonderfully important, is the testimony that Jimmy has given over and over of, I know a God that heals. Let me tell you what he's done for me. He rebuilt my pelvic bones. God is the great redeemer. Isaiah 61 says this so well. This picture, these are the words that Jesus read in the temple. Some of my favorite scripture. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. So picture, the Lord is on you, in you. You are in Christ. And here it, here's what it says. To bring good news to the poor. They're poor. They're hurting. But Jesus comes and redeems with good news. Sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Proclaim, proclaim liberty to the captives. The opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Praise the Lord. To grant those who mourn in Zion and give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. They're covered with ashes in mourning and they come, God comes and brings flowers, a headdress, beautiful. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit or the spirit of despair or heaviness. So that they might be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Or for the display of his splendor. God wants to do things in us so that the world looks and goes, you know, I have no way of explaining this except Jesus. And when God redeems our life and each one of us, regardless of how difficult our past has been, we all need the redemption of God. We are all weak and broken and sinful and our God is glorious and powerful and the Redeemer. And when the Lord sees that in our lives, in our homes, God receives the glory. God is the master. Christ is the master redeemer. Lastly, I would say there are so many things that God, that happen to us or that are ours as we are in Christ. But my fifth point is that we are children of God. We are children of God. Those who were not children, we've been adopted into the family with all the rights and all the privileges and all the blessings of being part of the family. You know, I have three sons. They're adult sons. And I have three granddaughters. And as sons, these are all Norells, and they are in. Now, what do I mean by in? I mean they're special to me. I love you all. I love them more. <laughs> I hope that's okay. That's okay. They are mine. They are Norell's. If they were homeless, they would come live with me. I, my home would be open. If they were hungry, I would find food for them. If they were hurting, I would go be with them. If they needed money, I would send it to them. Now, hopefully I'd do that for you as well. But I know I would do it for my family because they are mine. They are in. They are inside. I remember walking with my first granddaughter, you know, who's like six weeks old. And I'm like, you're in. You have no idea what I'm saying, but you're in. You're mine. You're, you will never go hungry in this world if I have anything to say about it because you're in. And I would say most parents, hopefully all parents would understand that. 
because they are my children. And God looks at each and every one of us that way. We are his children. We matter to him. We come into the family of God and he, we belong as children of God. Ephesians 2, 19 says, So then you're no longer strangers and aliens. You're not out there. But you are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Praise the Lord. We are part of God's family. That's who we are. So to bring this home, in ourselves, apart from God, apart from God, we are weak, we are sinful, we lack knowledge, we're small, we're lost. But in Christ, with me, in Christ, brothers and sisters, but in Christ we are his masterpieces, royal priests, made in the image of God, redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we've been adopted into his family. That's the truth. And the battle, you know, what I would challenge you today is what will you believe? Which message will you believe? That's a question we have in a lot of our lives today. Which message will you believe? Do you believe the message that somebody told you? Some parent said something negative towards you? Some teacher, some person? Or will you believe what God says about you because you are in Christ? And that's where the battle comes in Satan. Satan will always bring the lies to destroy you. But we have to say, I will embrace the truth of what God says about me. So I'd say, if you are in Christ, one more time, your hands. If you're in Christ, start living like it. Decide, will you believe the truth that God speaks about you. I want to bring it home one more step. My personal life. Satan is the father of lies. And one of my favorite verses, one of my battle verses, is 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Truth. Walking in the light. So Satan says, Kent, you're amazing. You are so good, you don't need God. And I say, no, not so. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Breaking the song, amazing grace, sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Someone tried to change that verse that saved someone like me. And I'm like, no, no, it's a wretch, a sinner. I know to do right, do wrong. God have mercy on my soul. May God have mercy on all of our souls. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. 
was blind, but now I see. And Satan says, okay, maybe you're not so great. You are a wretch. You're worthless. You're nothing. I go, nope, because I am in Christ. I am hidden in Christ in the heaven. I, my life is in Christ and the great mystery, Christ in me, the hope of glory, Christ in you. So I go, well, yes, I'm a wretch outside of Christ, but I'm not outside of Christ. I'm in Christ. And I have been forgiven by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am cleansed and I am his son. And when you start down that line, I can just hear Satan screaming. No! Because he has no defense against the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to hide ourselves, bathe ourselves under the covering and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a defense to our souls, to our lives. And we remind the enemy that I am God's masterpiece. I am redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been made in the image of God. That's who I am. And that's who you are. Challenge you this week to walk in that. As you know who you are, you will walk differently. When you know who you are, you will live according to that truth. I've shared this once before, but I went to a bank in Dominican Republic to change a check. And they should have handed me back this many bills. It was 8,000 pesos, my check. But they misread it and thought it was $8,000, which is a 50 to 1 difference. And so they handed me in big bills this stack of, I saw them counting. I thought, what are they doing? Counting, counting, counting. They handed me, instead of a little bit of dollars, they handed me $8,000 worth of pesos. They pushed it through the window. And I, I, I knew, I'm, I'm looking for this and I get this, right? And as they were sending all this cash to me through the window, I said, uh, excuse me, I think you've miscounted. The lady freaked out. She's like, oh, oh, oh. She, I mean, she, I'd have been fired. Oh, you must be, you must be a really good person. <laughs> I said, no, I'm a Christian. And I knew, why didn't I take that money and run? I could have used that money for the kingdom. Hallelujah. I'm not a thief. It's not my money. I never, I mean, I thought it was funny, but I didn't consider taking the money because I know who I am. I'm not a thief. Only a thief would take money that wasn't theirs. The Lord brought that home to me and said, when you know who you are, you live according to who you are. You're not a thief, so we don't steal. I'm not a wretch anymore because I've been redeemed and saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. So we live according to who we are. I want to close by having us take a look at a projection here of a list of who we are in Christ. And I want us to stand. I want you to read these through with me. We're going to take it slowly so that the truth can drop in. These are directly from Scripture. And I want to read them and let the truth drop into your heart.
Because this is who we are in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is truth. So as you read it, let the truth of these proclamations drop into your heart. Ready? Who I am in Christ. I am forgiven. I am reconciled to God. I am rescued. I am redeemed. I am bought with a price and belong to God. I am known by God. I am chosen. I am justified before God. I am accepted. I am saved. I am alive. I am free. I am secure. I am a new creature. I am born of God. I am adopted by God. I am a child of the promise. I am Jesus' friend. I am a citizen of heaven. I'm a member of Christ's body. I am sealed, and I am loved. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Worship team, come on up. Thank you, Jesus. My prayer is that the truth of who we are in Christ through the word of God, would fill you with strength, would empower you with the power of the Holy Spirit that we could live as God has made us to live. Let me pray. I thank you, Lord, that you are truth and you call us to walk in the light of your word. You call us to walk in that truth. And Father, I pray that you would shine, as it were, a spotlight on our souls, that when we hear ourselves speaking lies, I'm just not worth anything, I'm just nobody, if we start speaking those lies, God, I pray that the light of your Spirit would shine so brightly that we would be checked by your Spirit and say, no, that's not true, that's a lie of the enemy. I am loved by God. I am chosen by God. I am made in his image. And the Father, we would be those who walk and declare the truth of who you've made us to be. God, shine the light of your Holy Spirit on every soul here and everyone joining us online. That the lies of the enemy would be exposed. That we would no longer be unaware of his schemes and that, God, we would be those who walk in the light of who you have made us in Christ. Please, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. If you're new with us today, I'll be out at the Welcome Center, which is the left side, going out the door. I'd love to greet you this morning. If you want someone to pray with you, over any of these issues or anything else in your life, you're in need of healing, you're in need of someone to seek the Lord with you, over at these doors, our prayer room is right through those doors. People are ready to pray and seek the Lord with you today. It's good to be together. Hope to see you all here or online this Friday night about 6 o'clock, okay? God bless you guys. Greet someone in the love of the Lord. We'll see you soon. Hallelujah.